All right, so Isaiah chapter 50-ish is where we're going to be this morning. And um, to kind of set the framework for, for understanding the passages that we'll be looking at today, I want you to go back to chapter 49, verse 14. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that it's kind of hard in, in, um, in, in, in reading uh, what we've got as opposed to hearing somebody speak. You know, if you were hearing somebody speak, you could hear different inflections. And, and if there was a different speaker, you would know it's a different speaker. And so uh, as it's all coming down, sometimes you miss who's saying what. Especially if it's just a comment in the middle of a long passage. Verse 14 of chapter 49 is basically Zion, that is Israel, saying, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15 and onward is basically God saying, oh yeah? I've forgotten you? Really? Is that, is that really what you're saying here? And Everything else that flows through this is kind of a big response to that. So if we look at verse 50, I mean uh, chapter 50, verse 1, this concept is, is continuing. This is all still part of the response to what was going on in verse 14 of chapter 49. Thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of divorce by which you sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. I got to tell you, and it's kind of hard to jump right in at this point, this particular verse of this passage was, is probably the one that's been the hardest for me to understand in this whole section. So we're just going to... Um, jump in because it kind of depends on how you how you read this. Some commentators said God saying, "Okay, where's the certificate of divorce by which I've sent you away?" Uh, almost a rhetorical question, expecting I don't see a certificate of divorce. I haven't left you. I haven't sent you away. Uh, meaning that God has not really abandoned His people. That they abandoned Him. Um, but then, that doesn't really make sense when it says in the latter part of the verse, well, you were sold for your iniquities, and because of your transgression, your mother was sent away. Uh, so I'm not real sure how to reconcile those two things, to, to, to just be honest. Um, kind of the... I guess the, the compromise would be um, uh, I haven't sent you I haven't divorced you 
but you were in timeout for a, a long time. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I th maybe there's, I don't know. It's kind of a tough verse because I could see spiritual truth kind of in both areas. Um, but I, I think the, the, the weight of this is that obviously whether it was something official divorce-wise or just this separation, there was a separation. Because if you look at verse 2, halfway down it says, is my hand so short that it can't ransom or have no power to deliver? So he's saying like, you know, even, even if we were separated, do you think I don't have the power to, to, to bring you back? To, to, to make it all right again. And again, this is response to verse 14. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. I said, no. Is my hand so short that it can't ransom, that I have no power to deliver? He says, behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness and so forth. Um, this is all still part of that response that God hasn't forgotten. God can deliver. God can reconcile. Now, we have another voice that's going to come on the stage in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. If you don't know who's speaking yet, verse 6 gives us some more clues. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my faith humiliation, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, right? So this is, um, this is what's called uh, one of Isaiah's servant songs. Servant song. And we're going to, this is actually the third servant song. There's a fourth coming. If you want to make a little note in your Bible, servant song, starting at chapter 50, verse 4, the first one, mark this uh, in your notes, um, is chapter 42, verse 1. talking about the servant, and the, the first verse there is an introduction. So we know, you know, uh, the, the servant is introduced, and then uh, we hear more first-person account um, from 42, 1 through 7. And then the second song is actually the first part of chapter uh, 49, uh, where it says, uh, look at verse 2, and he's made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me 
in his quiver. And he said to me, you are my servant. Um, so this is the third of the servant songs. And here we find some things about Jesus. Right? We hear some things that where we clearly hear uh, a picture of, of who Jesus is. Um, verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. Uh, Jesus did a lot of speaking, right? He did a lot of preaching. He did a lot of encouraging. He spoke to people. He spoke to children on his lap. He spoke to um, uh, Mary and Martha as one was at his knee and one was in the kitchen. He spoke to his disciples. He spoke to the wind. He spoke to Pharisees and publicans and guys in trees. I mean, he had, yes, healing ministry, but mostly it was teaching and speaking and all those things. And um, did Jesus get into a whole lot of trouble for the things he did? He got called on the carpet one time for healing on the Sabbath. But what he really got into trouble for were the things he said. Stuff like, you know, I'm God and, you know, I can forgive sin and those sorts of things were what he got in trouble about. He was, he was there uh, to speak to us. And as we go on, we find that he was, he was hearing from God. He was uh, a mouthpiece uh, for God, of course. Right. Yes. This is 700 years before Jesus, right? Around now. Yep. Pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, verses 6 and 7 talk about the humiliation that Christ experienced as part of the whole crucifixion process. But notice who's in charge here. It says, I gave my back to the people that are striking me. Did the Romans have the power to really do anything that Jesus wasn't going to let them do? No. And even though he was receiving those stripes on his back, it says, I, I gave my back to those. I gave my cheeks to those who were going to pluck out my beard. I didn't cover my face. Verse 7, I've set my face like flint. In other words, you know, I'm, I'm hardened to this. I'm, I'm choosing to walk this path. And I think this is just a manifestation. We heard in the past about, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and, and that, that prayer that... Um, not, not my will, but thine, Lord. And this is part of that, that, you know, not just lip service. Yep, I'm in charge of this whole process. Even though I'm suffering, uh, it's, my, it's my choice to be involved with this. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me, let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me, let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. 
Uh, he who vindicates me is near. Uh, God is the one who is the judge. God gets to make the call as to who's right and who's not. More specifically, who's righteous and who's not. Um, God declares us to be righteous, right? He says you're righteous even though we're not acting righteous, looking righteous, but he has declared us righteous because of Jesus. He gets to be the judge there. Beginning at verse 10 and verse 11, we have some transition verses that are going to take us into chapter four, uh, 51. And the first verses of chapter 51 really are almost like a commentary and an explanation on what we've just learned about the servant. So verse 10, it says, Who is among you that fears the Lord? So the servant's not talking anymore. We've got the prophets back on the stage. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So there's a couple of points here. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? Those two concepts are connected. It's saying that those that fear the Lord are the same people that obey the servant, right? Um, so this is, there are several places in Scripture where you can get a notion that Jesus is God. So here you have two things to very, it's talking about the same people who fears the Lord that obeys the voice of his servant. Um, the obedience to a prophet would not be the same as, say, obedience to the Lord. But here, saying those two things are the same. So one point is equivalence of the servant and the Lord. And then the second thing is an appeal. Uh, it's, it's, it's asking, in the latter part of verse 10, let him who trusts in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Uh, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Um, all these people in Zion who in verse 14 said, the Lord's forsaken me, the Lord's forgotten me, saying no. Let me tell you about the servant. Let me tell you about God who gets to make the call of, of who's righteous and who's not. Let me tell you about that. Because in verse 10, you can trust him. You can rely on him. Right? I'm telling you all this because you made this statement back in verse 14 that I've forgotten and I've forsaken you. No. Not only have I not forgotten, I've not forsaken you. I've got a plan. It involves my servant. And because of that, you can trust me. Now he takes the negative view for the people who maybe aren't going to trust. Verse 11, he says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourself with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand, and you will lie down in torment. We've talked 
a lot about idols, the things that we make. And it's basically saying, I'm giving you this light. I'm revealing some truth to you. You can walk in the light I'm giving you, or you can make your own fire, and you can hang around that light. If you're going to go by the light that you're making, then the ultimate outgrowth of that is going to be you're going to lie down in torment. This is another application. Remember when we talked about the wood? Half the log you make your idol, and half the log you create the fire that melted the stuff to make the idol? You know, it's... Uh, are you going to walk in the light of your own fire? Um, that's kind of a... I think that's a, a, a notion. Um, especially nowadays, right? I mean... Um, Humanity in 2016 thinks a fair amount of him or herself, right? We think we've pretty much got it figured out. Uh, we know so much, right? Just ask the internet. We know so much. But are we walking in the illumination of God's light, or are we just walking in the light that we must? All right. Chapter 51. We're going to do part of 51. And the point is here that this is this is the um, you know, we, it's almost like a sermon where, where the text was all about the servant and what God can do for his people and God's inclined to do for his people he's he he is compelled to do for his people and to redeem them and 51 elaborates on that right so the 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 prophet is going to try to encourage them again this is all in response to their fear that they've been forgotten and forsaken Verse 1 of 51. Listen to me, who you, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. This sets the stage. Rocks. These are the foundation stones. He's taking them back to the basics. Say, look, let's just get this straight. Let's, go, let's forget all the stuff that's happened till now. Look where you came from. Who was there at the start? What are you made of? And he takes them in verse 2. It says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When he was the one I called him, I'm sorry, when he was one, I called him, but I blessed him and multiplied him. Think back, people. Think back. Before there was a nation, before there was rebellion, before there was idol worship, before there was anything, I went and I picked Abraham and Sarah and I made a promise to them. And you as a nation, you are the fulfillment of that promise. I've been keeping my promises and I'm going to keep keeping my promises. Look at verse 3. It says, He'll comfort her in the waste places and in the wilderness will make like Eden. It's almost like saying, 
Oh yeah. And before there was Abraham, there was Adam and Eve. I was there too. I made Eden. I made this perfect place because I cared for them. Verse 6, the language gets really broad. And this is where, you know, the broader the language, the more I think we can apply it to us. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear like a garment. Its inhabitants will die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not wane. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I am in this forever. My salvation shall be forever. Verse 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. You know, one of the greatest things that, one of the greatest blessings that uh, the Lord gave to his people was giving them the law. I mean, yes, it was, it was to, but it also revealed a lot of his character and, and his uh, desires through the law. What a, what a great gift that was. Uh, to me, who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, the grub will eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be forever. Again, my salvation to all generations. Verse 7, to go back a verse, don't fear the reproach of man. How many times do we get in trouble because we are afraid what somebody else is going to say? Right? Um, some of the people, um, as Jesus was speaking and teaching, some of the things he was saying were, were hard to say. You know, what I could understand people struggling. Uh, Nicodemus, he came in the middle of the night. He was curious. He was feeling called by God. But he came by night because probably afraid of the reproach of men. You know, he was still, still working it out. There are such minimal repercussions that we have in speaking up for Jesus, right? We're in the Western Hemisphere, which has a lot of roots in Christianity, even though that's being diluted, right? A lot happened with the Reformation, and there's tons of churches, and there's you know, biblical um, principles in our laws, and and within that all Western civilization, we're we're in America that has a lot of its heritage and people who were talking and serving and wanting to be part of the same God, and and they call this the Bible Belt because it's just kind of considered the right thing to do. There are people who go to church because it's going to help their business, right? So we don't have much reproach from it. 
But we've got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are up against it. They're sneaking around. They're hiding. They're careful on who they invite to church because it might be the authorities. You know, there are tons of our brothers and sisters that are persecuted all across the world. Um, but even to them, it says, don't, don't fear the reproach of men. Look to me. And God hasn't forsaken them either. Um, a couple comments you know the the teaching we have on the servant and what we learn about Jesus where he was in charge he was aware he was submitting himself to that punishment I mean he was called to that and then, of course, it kind of raises the question, well, what are we called to? And I think we're all kind of still working out that. So many times, Scripture, the way that God wants us to increase our faith is He says, just check it out, look back at what I've already done. Look back at what I've already done for you. Now, as he was talking in 51, think of all the things that have happened to them so far, right? They were called as a nation. They were multiplied. They were taken miraculously out of Egypt. They were given the law against all odds. We spent a lot of time in Joshua, right? Did they have any business wiping out all the inhabitants of the promised land and taking hold of that? They weren't fighters. They'd been making bricks for 400 years. But yet, God gave them the promised land. God gave Solomon was their king, was the wealthiest person in the entire world and the wisest. Those were, all of that had happened to them that they could look back. But look at what we can look back on. We can, I mean, Jesus has already come. The Messiah has already brought us a new covenant, a, a new deal, a whole deal we got, right? It's like God's like, all this other stuff, that was just the intro. Here's my son on the stage to really make it, you know, to, to, to complete the transaction, to, to, to make it where we could be um, grafted in to, uh, to what he had in store. So we can start to paint with those things that he always had in mind for Israel. And we get to, we get to be part of that. We get to be part of, of that blessing. Just, you know, the more obvious Scripture is about Jesus, the easier it is to think about, right? It's probably a good, probably a good, uh, a good uh, principle there. You know, uh, obvious Jesus is in a lot of things. Probably the more clear it gets. Um,
in spite of all the things that we can look back to. Who of us hasn't felt a little forsaken sometimes? We have short memories. We forget to in our own stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, even, even though we are in a blessed part of the world, we still have our struggles, right? We still have families that are where people have gone crazy. <laughs> people are just, you know. Um, so we can, we can share in this encouragement too. That we can look back to the rock from which we were hewn and the quarry from which we were done. We, Doug, we can go back and, and think about that day when, when we got saved and when we can really start to call God our Father. The third of the servant songs, right? So we heard about Jesus today. We're going to hear about Jesus again, um, more and more actually, as we go through Isaiah. All right, we'll pause there. Questions, comments? Anything else? All right. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, the work that was done. We thank you that um, he was a willing servant and he, he came for us. We thank you for everything good that has happened to us because of that and pray that uh, we look back on that day and that we also look forward to more and more of what you have for us, both in this life and that to come. In Jesus' name, amen.